you have your Bibles, we will be in Matthew today. Uh, we're continuing our series there. Um, Matthew has um, this guy, knew Jesus, traveled around with Jesus, uh, and he wrote down for us some things about this Jesus. And Matthew has structured his um, letter to us, it's not really a letter, his story to us in, in, a, in a certain way. Uh, he's first introduced us to the person of Jesus, right? And first uh, four chapters are just him introducing us to Jesus, uh, that he comes from this ancient kingly line, that he is, but he's not kingly like the local king, Herod, right, who has all these power and resources. He's not like that kind of king. He's in, from this obscure place, he goes to obscure places, and he hangs out with obscure people, uh, and he doesn't have a lot of the wealth and the resources. He comes from a poor family, but he's also told us other things about this Jesus uh, in his genealogy, in his conception was unusual. Right? He was born from a virgin. Uh, his baptism was unusual. The sky splits and God speaks um, and says, this is my son. Uh, and then he's been going around healing people and doing these miracles. Matthew tells us all of this in the first four chapters. He uh, has told us that he is... Messiah, right? This promised one that was to come, that he is the son of David, which has theological significance, that he's uh, uh, qualified to be this ancient king, son of Abraham. His name means God saves. Another name means God is with us. He's told us that he's the king of the Jews, the shepherd of Israel. He baptizes with Holy Spirit and with fire, and that he is the father's priceless and deeply pleasing son. He's the light of the nations. So Matthew's told us this Jesus, is this somehow he's presenting him as this culmination of everything that all of history has been pointing to, especially God's history with his people Israel, right? The descendants of this man named Abraham. And so all of the writings and all of the texts uh, up to this point, what we would call the Old Testament, they've all are pointing to this Jesus according to Matthew. Matthew seems to be saying that he's somehow filling up all of the things that were spoken of in the past, all the things that were supposed to happen. Somehow they've all arrived at this Jesus. And it's not until we get to chapter five that we finally get to hear him teach. And Matthew's busted up his, uh, uh, Jesus' teaching into five blocks. So this is our first introduction to his teaching. Uh, and it's this weird scene where he goes up on a mountain and uh, sits down and he begins to instruct. And so if, if you see these five blocks and you see him going up on a mountain to begin to teach, uh, if you kind of grew up in this culture, you would immediately be reminded of this Moses-like moment who goes up on the mountain and begins to teach, you know, passing along these things. So it's this beautiful scene that Matthew sets. And, and he opens up uh, this first teaching, which is called the Sermon on the Mount, pretty commonly called the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus goes up on the mountain and gives this sermon, and it's opened with uh, the, be- the Beatitudes, what's what we call the Beatitudes, a Latin word that just means blessed, uh, and you'll see why. Let's, let's just read these together. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who were hunger and who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you 
and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the first block of his teaching. Matthew's actually already given us a heading Uh, Back in Matthew 4, he says Jesus was going around his teaching, and he's given us a heading for all of his teaching, and the heading is this. He says Jesus went around teaching and saying and preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it's the heading he's given us for all Jesus' teaching. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this is the heading that all of these things that he says falls under. Uh, Matthew's kind of summed them up for us that way. Uh, And so you get to this Moses-like moment, he's up there and he's teaching, and he gives these list of things, people who are blessed. Um, it's a common formula. Other people have done similar things. As a matter of fact, the whole Old Testament, the Psalms start off like by announcing who is blessed and what is it blessed. And, and blessed means um, those who can flourish. Happy might be a pretty good word for it if happy weren't so like, you know, dependent, you know, on on your circumstances. But like you are in a favorable position. You're in a place that is to be envied if you are this. It's not so much like, hey, God is gonna bless you if you are these things or he's doing these things. It's more a, you're in a place where you can grow and produce good things. You know what I mean? And a life where you can, that's what it means to be blessed. Like you're in a place where you're, you can be what it means to be fully human, yeah? You can produce good things. You ever been in a place where you can't produce good things, right? You're just like, you're nothing, right? You feel like you're nothing. It's like, you are blessed if this is what, if this is who you are. This is what it's like. There is a blessing here. Of course, I mean, it's what everything is promising. Uh, so this is Jesus' announcement. This is his teaching. Uh, but, um, and it's kind of organized in a certain way. Can you, did you catch that kind of the groupings? The first three or four, four kind of go together. The blessed are poor in spirit, mourn, meek, Hunger and thirst for righteousness, those are people who are lacking. They're, they're missing something, right? Uh, and then the next, uh, the next ones are the pure in heart, the merciful, and the peacemakers. Those kind of go together. And then these last ones are those who are persecuted. So these kind of go together. So this first group of people who are blessed, who are in a place where they can actually flourish, they're actually people who are, who are lacking. Um, the first problem that we really run into with the Beatitudes is, I don't like them. I, I don't want to be this. I got, at first, it doesn't make sense to us at first inspection that this is a desirable way to be in the world. But what the whole Beatitudes, I believe, are driving us at towards, the whole thing, the, the, taken as a whole, when you take it with who Jesus is and what he does, the Beatitudes paint this picture of a people who are completely dependent on Jesus. The completely dependent person is the person who is in a, dependent, is, is in, is in a blessed place. They have access to a kind of life that is eternal and they can flow into them even now. That's what the picture's, picture being painted is. But you know what? It doesn't sound, like my, my tiny human comfort-seeking brain does not like these things. So we have to understand what, what he's driving at. So uh, two weeks ago, uh, Taylor, talk, Taylor uh, masterfully addressed this section after this, uh, but uh, I, uh, of course, hit the first beatitude and, and you know, pulled the emergency brake. Uh, and we just stopped here, so I wanna go back and hit some more of these today. Um, uh, we talked about blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, those who are spiritually bankrupt, and they know it, 
right? That's what we're talking about. Those who um, are dependent on Jesus, they're not entitled, uh, they're not scared because they know that everything that they have is dependent on something else that he gives them. Um, That's what the poor in spirit are. Those who are know that they're bankrupt spiritually, know that they are spiritually dead and they need something to give them life. You're in a blessed and favorable position if that's true. Um, And then comes those who mourn. Um, Have you ever been around somebody who's in mourning? Have you ever had to go, have you gone through mourning? It's, I mean, would you describe, like, do you meet, oh, they're mourning, that's, that's, oh, they're blessed. Like, you don't, that's not your first reaction, right? Like, that's not what we think. Uh, someone who has, how, like, just, I don't, how can this possibly even be? Um, it's certainly not about woe is me, like long-faced, sad, mopiness, right? That's, that's not it at all. He's talking about the brokenhearted, the grieved, people who have lost something precious or crushed by something heavy, right? That's who they are. Um, that's who those who mourn are. Um, and so here's the deal. I think that, that most of these work on at least two levels. On the first level, those who mourn are blessed. There's this announcement level. Um, the announcement level is that God is on the side of the hurting, God, God is near to those who have been crushed by something heavy. God is near to them. It's just an announcement that I am here to comfort is a big, big deal. It's often the only time, by the way, that when we are crushed by heavy things that we can hear rightly. And so there's this time where there's this opportunity that we could possibly hear. It's good news because... God is near and draws near to those who are mourning and it it won't always be this way. Isaiah 61 says this. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Jesus is announcing that this is happening, that he's there to bond up the brokenhearted. Those that actively mourn are those that are closest to understanding how firmly and gently God holds them. When you collapse under the weight of something, what catches you? What he's saying is when the weight captures you, when the weight crushes you, he is the one who can and will and desires to be there to catch us. I remember um, a tough time in my life when I was in mourning, and I can tell you this, I learned this from watching others, and I experienced this and as a gift from God in a moment, that in the deepest place of mourning in my life, it's happened a couple of times, I also felt great joy and peace and comfort, and love. One didn't drive out the other. They seemed to exist at the same moment, in the same place, in the same time. When you collapse, and you have nothing else to fall, nothing else to catch you, 
the firm, it's probably the only time in my life when I could fall into the very firm, very loving arms of a savior. That's what he's saying. There's this moment, this announcement level that he is here able and desires to do this. It is good news that our God is this way. He cares about the hurting. What great news. There's also, though, I think another level. There's this new kingdom, new life level that that he's talking about. Uh, Because you can mourn, right? Like, it's not that God's not ever going to be near you unless something terrible happens in your life, right? That's not what he's saying. I think there's there's another type of mourning that the Bible talks about, a brokenheartedness that's not dependent on your situation. Uh, There is a mourning and a brokenheartedness that doesn't come from bad things happening to you, right? There's a mourning and a brokenness that the Bible talks about that comes from looking at the world and the state of the world and the effects of sin in the world and being hurt by it being hurt. The psalmist uh, actually says, Psalm Psalm 119, my eyes shed streams of tears because the people do not keep your law. You look at the impact of sin in the world and it breaks your heart. You look at this world, and and I don't know if you notice this or not, but it's not the way it's supposed to be, right? It's just not right. The world's not right. Uh, I I looked it up. Uh, There were something like 150 murders in the city of Birmingham last year. The world's not supposed to be that way. Uh, wars and government shutdown possibilities, all of the things that happen. It's just not supposed to be this way. And what is our reaction to it? You know, when we see sin and the effects of sin, uh, we can either get angry and we can rage against it, right? We can get angry. You should log on the, on the internet and just fire away your frustrations and your anger. You can pretend like it's not happening and distance yourself from it. You can seek comfort and other, and other things, right? You can distract yourself from it, right? That the world's not supposed to be this way, that there's hurting and hurt going on in the world. Or you can do the biblical thing. There's this great line at the end of the book of Jonah, the last book, uh, the last line in the book of Jonah. Jonah's gone and he's preached to these people he didn't want to preach. He wanted them to be destroyed because they were terrible human beings and uh, they were doing awful things and God saves them anyway. Jonah goes outside and throws a world-class pity party, hoping God would change his mind and destroy the entire city because he hated them so much. And the last line of Jonah says this, God's speaking to Jonah, and he says, how am I not supposed to care about these people? It's a whole city full of people that do not know their left hand from their right. The effects of sin that people that don't know their left hand from their right. So you can get angry at it, you can ignore it, you can push it away, pretend like it's not happening, you can rage against it, or you can let it break your heart. The world's not supposed to be like this, and people don't know. They don't know God, they haven't heard, or they're not following him the way they're supposed to follow him, and it is, it is, there's a way that we can let it break our heart and be moved to point them to truth and reality. Mourning the impact of sin. The world is not right. Of course, um, this is also true on a personal level, isn't it? Right? It's true on a personal level. Um, When things go badly, what is your response? Right? Work doesn't go the way it's supposed to. Relationships don't go the way they're supposed to. Kids don't act the way they're supposed to act. Right? Spouses don't act right. Friends don't act right. Whoever it is. Right? What is our response when things go badly, when life happens and it is heavy and it crushes us? Uh, for most of us, the answer is, well, yeah, it's their fault. Right? I mean, if so-and-so hadn't said this thing, then you wouldn't have done that thing, right? 
They did that. Or if this hadn't happened, if just this had happened and this happened, then I wouldn't have been that way. And so often our response to what goes on in the world is to, into, into our own lives is to go, yeah, 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 but if this had been different or if they hadn't said that, I mean, most of the time what leaps out of me in moments of great stress or great tension, actually, that's not true. Minor moments of tension and stress and minor annoyance. What leaps out of me, even in minor moments, is frustration and anger a lot of times. Why is my response? Well, if you hadn't interrupted me, then I wouldn't have acted that way. If you hadn't done this, and our, so much of our tendency is to push that away from us and push it on to other people. What if, what if, what if the problem is you? Hold on, hold on. Stay with me for a second. Me too. It's me. What if the problem is me in my heart? What if it needs to be dealt with is not always them but me? I'm going to blow your minds. Two things can be true at the same time. I know, I know, I know. It's weird. Two things can be true. I could have been mistreated, done wrong, and acted poorly. Both of those things can be right. True, at the same time. I think so often I want to push away from me any, any fault, any blame. I want to push it so far away from me that I never, ever, ever deal with the fact that, yeah, that was unjust, that was wrong, but my anger or my response or my moodiness or my gloominess or my passive aggressiveness or my withdrawal into myself, all of those things were so self-focused, right, that I never dealt with the fact that you know what, the reason I reacted the way I was was because I kind of like, I have an overinflated sense of uh, that what I'm doing is the most important thing that's happening in the world right now. So when I'm interrupted, I respond that way. And you know what, if you would interrupt me, it'd be fine. Or how about this, if you interrupted me and I had dealt with the fact that maybe that I am not the most important person in the world, and the thing that I'm doing is not the most important thing, maybe I wouldn't have reacted that way. Both those things can be true at the same time. And here's why it's good news. Because I mean, I think the reaction is like, telling me it's my fault, it's not good news, Chris. But hold on, here, here, here's why it is. Because if you can't mourn your own sin, right? If you can't admit your own sin, your own lack of trust, your own lack of belief, if you can't admit that, I just, I don't really have much hope that things are gonna change, that you're gonna grow. Because people are going to continue to act poorly. Bad things are going to continue to happen. Like, I just don't have much, I don't, I don't know how to help you with that. If you can't see. But if people continue to act poorly and bad things are going to continue to happen, but you can put it in the right place in your heart because of who Jesus is and what he has done, I have really good news. You're so close to that kingdom life flowing into you because of who he is and what he has done. I, you, you, they can respond and, and you could be changed, you could be different, you could become more patient, you could become, because you know your own sin and brokenness, you could become more patient, more loving, more joyful, and it is such good news that even in those circumstances, you can, depending on Christ, still grow, even when people don't act right. And here's another possibility. Not only can you change, that's great news and great hope that Jesus can change you, here's the other piece of great news. One of the most powerful forces in changing other people is loving them well. The rest of Matthew's story is going to go on and prove that. The whole world is changed by Jesus coming and dying and loving us so well that the whole world has changed. The power of 
I wish I could stand up here and tell you that I'm a great example of that. I'm not. My wife, however, is a good example of that. My wife, she just like she's some kind of like emotional jujitsu champ, right? Like I don't like like I like get mad and like, like my res- immediate response is like raise my voice and it's like she just lowers hers and I don't know she's I don't even notice she's doing it till it's till I'm like you know on the ground with my arm behind my back emotion you know like I, it's like, like she lowers her voice and which makes me angry so I raise my voice and she lowers her voice again. And he's like, I don't, what, tell me what I've done to cause you to be this way, which makes me furious that she's being so kind to me in these moments, right? And I leave, and then I just deal with the fact that she's loved me well in this horrible moment, and it just crushes me and breaks me and changes me. She uses love in a, in a powerful way. And it's not because she's manipulative, it's just who she is, right? And so there's good news that we can change even if people don't act right. And there's good news that we can change the world by being so grounded in Christ's love for us and our mourning of our sin and our, and, our, and our understanding of our own brokenness that we begin to love people well and it begins to change the world. God moves forward in these, the kingdom moves forward in these amazing, amazing ways when we understand our mourning. The result can be changed. It's good news because if you don't mourn, if you are proud in your sin, if you are defiant in it, if you deny it, if you excuse it, it will continue to kill you. That's bad news. But if you give it up, if you admit that you're the problem, right? if you admit that you are killing you, something can be done about it. If you can admit it, mourn it, mourn your complicity in it, you know that you're spiritually bankrupt, right? I have nothing, and then you take the next step and go, and I'm the reason I'm spiritually bankrupt and have no life in me. My own sin. And you can confess and repent. You can change. And you have access. This healing happens and this access to this kingdom life of Jesus just flows into us. Unbelievable. We know we're spiritually bankrupt. We are no chance we have life in us. And then we mourn our part of the sin in this world. And we know that we are part of it. We are so close to this kingdom life flowing into us. And he says this, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. We confess our sins. He comforts us. He is faithful and just. Don't have time to get into that amazing thing to forgive us. And then verse five, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. So, uh, world doesn't consider the meek to be blessed, right? The ones who are crushing it are not the meek, right? Uh, yeah. Um, so this comes from Psalm 37, 11. Uh, Jesus is talking about this psalm. He says, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The people who are powerless in the eyes of the world the small, not weak, but apparently powerless in the eyes of the world. There's this uh, announcement level, right, where uh, this is, that God is nearby to those who are meek, and God is close to the little people, and he cares about those, he lifts them up. One day, the people that God one day lifts up will be the little people, and exalts them. Um, he's far from bullies. God, um, when God comes to fight uh, our real enemies, he does it by dying on a cross. Um, And this is great news. God is near. You do not have to achieve a thing. Be great. God is near the meek, the small, the apparently powerless. 
that's the announcement level, and it's amazing. But this new kingdom life level, um, you know what? I'm just going to tell you a story. Uh, I, um, so I, actually, you know what? The rest of that psalm, I want to read psalm, I want to back up a few verses. Psalm 37, 9 through 11. I want to read the verses before that. It says, the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. So those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in the abundance of peace. So those who will inherit the land are those who wait for the Lord and those who, and the meek, right? Uh, here's what I would tell you then. Uh, those who wait on the Lord are the meek, right? Um, I was, um, uh, I had started my career in engineering um, and I, I came over to my parents' house to visit them, to see them. And uh, I knew that my dad had been up for a promotion. My dad, uh, just a good dude, just like a, as a matter of fact, at his retirement, <laughs> one of his bosses he had for a long time was like, you know how people always say like so-and-so's a good dude? He's like, Randy is the, my, my dad, Randy is the kind of the standard, like, like, you, like he is the good guy that everybody likes and loves. Um, and my dad... Uh, He's had a long career at the same company and uh, never really rose above what I think they called a level six. Like he just kind of got stuck at a level six for like most of his life, most of his career. Never got above that. Would apply for, apply for promotions and not get them. I think one of the reasons my dad would not get these promotions um, was because uh, he did not have a political bone in his body. He just couldn't play any kind of game at all. Like my dad, like in, he had an interview one time and they were like talking about what the questions would be. And uh, my dad's the kind of guy, like if you, if you were, uh... so sometimes in job interviews, uh, I don't know if they do this anymore, but a while back they would do this. There'd always be a question, something to the effect of like, what, what is your greatest weakness, right? And that's when you like, I work too hard, right? Like I, my greatest weakness is I just work way too hard and I'm way too loyal. Right? That's probably my biggest weakness. That's what you're supposed to say. And my dad would give like a true answer. My dad would be like, oh. And I'm like, dad, you don't, like, don't actually tell them. Like, that's not what you're supposed to do. There. Like, nobody expects you to actually be honest. At, like, but my dad would. He'd be like, oh, you know, like, I really struggle sometimes to get, grab concepts. And I have to work really hard to get them. And I'm sometimes not the first one in the room to get the idea. And I'm like, dad, don't, don't say that. Don't. Like, and, my, and he would say, well, son, they're asking me so they can make an accurate evaluation of my uh, abilities. And I'm like, dad, that's not how the game is played, dad. It's a game. Don't play the game that way. It's not a game. And he, but he wouldn't, not a political bone in his body. So he gets stuck at this level six, uh, or whatever it was, for a very long time. Uh, and near, nor towards the end of, his, end of his career, opportunity comes up. There's only a few people applying for this job. He goes in and applies for this next level position. And... Uh, uh, I come home to visit, and I go, hey, did you get the job? He's like, no, I didn't get the job. I'm like, why? Well, did they tell you why? He's like, yeah. I said, you were the one most qualified by far. He's like, yeah, but they told me why. He said, they're just looking for somebody that um, could be in a position a little bit longer than I would be able to because I'm going to retire. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Did they email you that? And he's like, yeah. I go, and I come unglued. That is literally illegal. That's literally illegal, Dad. Like I like he's like he's like no son, and I go, Dad, literally illegal. That's ageism, and I'm like I am losing my mind. And my dad's like just kind of very very calm, and he's like, son, I know that. And I'm like, we gotta call a lawyer. Like like, I, and I'm just like I'm losing my mind. And my dad just very calmly just looks at me and says, Son, I prayed that God would do His will, and that whatever His will was, that I would accept it. How can I then go fight it? And I 
rose to a whole new level of unglued. Unforeseen, unpreviously seen levels of unglued. Livid that, that you would ta- be taken advantage of and not rage against the machine, right? Not go and fight, not go. And, and, and I, I just couldn't do it. And I, and I remember being a little embarrassed of my dad. How can you not stand up for yourself? Because they said, you're the most qualified. We just want someone that can be. I came unglued. Some years have gone by. I hope that one day I can have that kind of strength. You know what I mean? Meekness is not weakness. There's a strength in meekness that depends on something greater than what you can sum up in yourself. I mean, I mean, just on a practical level, how do you think this plays out if it goes my way? Where I sue the company, I rage against the job, I get the new job, and how, what's my attitude? I'm like, you're, you're absolutely right, you gave me this job, and like, I'm livid, and I hate my job, and I hate everybody, I've burned bridges, and I've scorched earth. My dad, however, prays, God, this is what I want, you do, what I want is for you to do whatever's best for me, and then when that happens, Give me whatever it is. Give me the strength to, 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 to accept this, and then he just goes on about his life and still still enjoys his job and still enjoys his life. People like the way that I was will not inherit the earth. God will not lift us up. He will lift up people who respond like my dad, who have a strength beyond them. Now, I'm not saying that you do not respond when you were taken, that we don't take it, that, you, that it would have been wrong to sue, that it would have been wrong to, I'm not saying that it would have been wrong to, you don't just take what, whatever comes your way. I'm not saying that. I am saying that if you respond my way, there's a wickedness in depending on your own strength and raging against the world. If you pray, God, do what you would have and I will accept it because I trust you as my loving father to do what is best for me, and God does something, and you just accept that God is doing what is good, man, what a way to be in the world. You can flourish and change. You be like me, that's just who you are. You don't just get better from that one day. Those of us who need to fight to prove ourselves, those of us who need to fight to make sure we're not taken advantage of, that are constantly making sure that we get what we want by, 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 by screaming and yelling and and demanding, we don't change. We just become more and more like that. It's not good news. But if we can summon up, if we can look at Jesus and who he is and see that he, in, face, in the face of his accusers, didn't go, guys, there's no really case here to crucify me. There's no reason. He didn't do that. God sent me to do this. This is what God has for me. And he, with great strength and meekness, goes to the cross for you and me. There's a strength in not having to fight for yourself and knowing that someone else, a father who loves you, fights for you and is because he loves you is gonna give you what is best for you. Even though we don't understand it, my tiny, puny human brain can't wrap my brain around the father who loves me and gives me a thing that I don't like. It's a great quote. Uh, uh, Miroslav Volf said it. Much of the Christian life is determining between a loaf of, between a loaf of bread and a rock. There's a Bible verse, Jesus says, like, the Father gives you good things. Uh, who, if, what, what among them, if their son asked for bread, would give him a stone, 
right? And what he's saying to us is, we sometimes receive things and go, why would you give me a rock? I need a loaf of bread. And God's like, you just don't see it yet. That is the bread. That's what you need. And I'm just livid that he's not giving me what I asked for. And he's like, no, that's what you need, right? There's a meekness that comes from trusting that God loves you. And when you were there, when you know that you're spiritually bankrupt, when you know that you can do nothing to contribute to the the spiritual life, and you then acknowledge, you know what? I am the problem. (laughs) Like, I am the core problem that needs to be dealt with here before I can ever deal with anybody else. I must deal with my own sin and my own trust issues. And then you can then trust that your father is good. There's a meekness that comes from the strength of trusting that your father will fight for you, that you, that is who will inherit the land because what the world needs right now by the way is not more bullies not more people who log on to fight online or scream and yell what the world needs is a non-anxious presence of a people who trust so we, that's what the world needs and God puts us in these places to mourn our own sin so we can reach out and love others to understand our to be, to be meek and understand our role our place that God loves us and that he will fight for us and we can live from that strength and help and lift up those who are not Strong, and we can contribute in love. God has moved us here. Give me what is good. I trust you. I know you love me. That is what we are long. That's what I'm. I'm working and praying to get there. The meek ask for help. We know we're spiritually bankrupt. Know that we're part of the problem. Be humble enough to come to Jesus and trust Him. We got there too. Pretty good. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for showing me the right way. Because I don't want to admit that I'm poor in spirit. I don't want to mourn. I don't want to admit that I'm part of the problem. And I am by nature not meek. I feel the need to rage against the machine constantly. But there's no blessing in that. I've sought those things. There's no way to be. There's no trust. There's no dependence. It all depends on me. And when I finally come to the end of me, where will I turn? Drive me to the end of me now. Show me my poor, that I'm poor in spirit. Mourn the sin in the world and in me and turn to you for help and meekness. Ugh. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of life. Thank you for a savior that did these things, that was this, that is this. Make me more like him. In Christ's name we pray, amen.